This morning, um, we're going to be looking at a guy who is uh, a pretty obscure little character in the New Testament. He's found in two books of the Bible, but only three verses. So if you'll turn to Colossians, please, and then stick your finger in Colossians, and then turn a little bit farther back in, in the New Testament to the book of Philemon. And if you look in Philemon first, there's only one chapter in the book of Philemon. And if you look to the almost to the very last verse, it's, it's verse 23. Paul is writing this letter to Philemon, and he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends his greetings to you. So we're going to be looking at the life or the, the person of Epaphras. He is, by this verse, we know that he's a fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus of Paul the Apostle. Now, if you'll turn to Philippians, to Colossians, excuse me, go to the very first chapter in Colossians, and if you'll look at verse 7, and it's actually, you have to start at 3 and read through verse 8 to get out, get the understanding of what's being said here. Paul is expressing greetings to the church at Colossia. And in verse 3 he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does amongst you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. None of you will turn to chapter four, which is the last chapter in Colossians. And if you look at um, the last, chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Now, those are the three verses that talk about Epaphras. So who is this guy? Um, the very first thing we need to know is that Paul, the apostle, did not plant the church in Colossae. Paul went to Ephesus and planted a church in Ephesus, which was nearby. And the best that scholars can understand is that there was a young man named Epaphras who lived in, who, who was from the village of Colossae, who happened to be in Ephesus at the time that Paul was doing his missionary journey, and somehow, some way, which probably he was in a synagogue on a, on a Saturday on the Sabbath, heard Paul preach the gospel. So somehow, some way, this young man, whose name was Epaphras, which was a common name, by the way, in, in that in that culture, he lived in the village of Colossae, but he was in Ephesus for some reason, which we don't know. He came in contact with Paul. It's probable that they were in the same synagogue service together where Paul was teaching and speaking about Jesus, the, 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 uh, the Son of God. And the end result is 
that Epaphras, um, Epaphras came to faith in Christ. Now, I'm not even sure that Epaphras was Jewish. It could be that Paul preached to him out in the streets and he became a Christian. We're not 100% sure what his background was, but somehow, some way, Paul and Epaphras crossed paths. Paul pro- preached the gospel to Epaphras. Epaphras became a Christian, and then God put a call on Epaphras' heart to plant a church in his hometown. And so Epaphras then goes back to Colossae and begins telling his friends and his neighbors about the gospel of Jesus. And these people come to faith in Christ, and the end result is a church is founded. And then, at some point, Paul is arrested and put into, uh, in, in prison in Rome, and somehow, or excuse me, not in Rome, in, in Ephesus, and somehow Paul, uh, Epaphras has heard about Paul being in Ephesus, and so the end result is, is that he ends up um, visiting him, I'm, sorry, I'm getting it all mixed up, in Rome, <laughs> and visiting him, and the end result is that he's there ministering on behalf of the church of Colossae to Paul the Apostle. And Paul calls him a fellow worker. He calls him a servant of Christ. He says that you are, that they received the gospel from Epaphras. And he mentions something about Epaphras' prayer life. Those are the gist, that's the gist of what we have of Epaphras. So I, I want to flesh it out a little bit. There's, there's no, it's, it's kind of hard to, 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 to look at it and get a whole lot out of it. But I do want to get some things that I think that we can own for ourselves and we can learn from this young man. Number one, when he received the gospel and owned it for himself, for whatever reason, he was motivated to go share it with the people that he, that he was close to, with his family, with his friends, his neighbors, his community. And God blessed that. Now, again, we do not know anything about what, how, and when, and why. All we know is that somehow, some way, a church was founded. A church that ended up ultimately helping and supporting Paul and loving on him in such a way that Paul then wrote a letter back to them saying, hey, I hear there's some struggle going on and I want to encourage you. And by the way, Epaphras is here with me and he's, he's showing your love to me and I want you to know he sends you his greetings. Um, so Epaphras is a believer in Jesus Christ who is emboldened enough to share the gospel with the people that he knows and does so in such a way that the Holy Spirit of God grips the hearts and the souls of those people that he's sharing the gospel with and they become believers. I would venture that it was probable that they then just started having Bible studies in somebody's living room, talking about the scriptures, talking about what the prophecies about Christ were, talking about how Jesus fulfilled all of it, talking about the the ministry of Jesus during his three years on the earth, and just slowly discipling, helping these people to come to a fuller and richer understanding of their faith. And Epaphras, understand, is, is a young Christian himself. So who knows what his level of understanding was. But he wasn't afraid. He wasn't hindered. He was emboldened, probably empowered by the Holy Spirit, to begin chewing on this together with friends. So that they could come to a fuller understanding of what it means to be a servant of the Most High. A servant of Christ. To be uh, ministers and, and, and servants to their community. To spread the truth of this gospel. I mean, I don't know 
what your background is necessarily. I know when I first came to a vital faith, I mean, I was reared in a church, in a in home that took me to church from the time I was little. But at the age of 16, I came to a vital faith for myself, where I owned it for myself, and I, I was so, I was so excited, I, I literally was just sharing it with everybody. As, as, as I look back, I go, oh, I can't believe I did this. But I was working as a busboy at Bob's Big Boy restaurant in Los Alamitos, California. I was Bob the busboy at Bob's Big Boy. And I was well liked. I was, they would, they told me I was one of the best busboys they've ever had. Now, this was back in the 70s. The restaurant doesn't even exist anymore. But, but that, at that point in time, I was very well liked by all of my coworkers. Now this, I came to faith in Christ on October 25th, 1975. I was exuberant. I was ecstatic. I was over the top with what God had done in my life. And I was just talking about it with everybody to the point that when it came time for Christmas, I went to the local pick and save or whatever the store was. And I bought these 12 inch porcelain plates with the most God awful hideous face of Jesus Christ on them. And I wrapped each one of them up and I wrote a personal note to each and every one of my coworkers and I gave them to them for Christmas and I gave it to my family members and everyone went, Oh, Bob, thanks. Ooh. <laughs> but in my heart of hearts, I was sharing Jesus with them because it was the most important thing I had ever come across and I wanted to make sure everyone knew about Jesus. And I, I see in my own mind's eye that exact same thing, that youthful exuberance of a brand new faith being shared by Epaphras with his community to the point where God used it and a church formed. Now, I, we as a congregation this year are celebrating our 40th anniversary as a church. In 1979, this church was officially started. Well, yesterday, around 11-ish, we had a young, a young man, he's in his 40s, I guess now, 40s or early 50s, who was the son, who is the son of the founding pastor of this church. He and his wife were on a tour of Alaska and they came yesterday and he walked down memory lane with a number of our our congregation members who've been around since the beginning. And he walked, he was so excited because um, over in the trees over here, just east of the parsonage, I've seen it for years, had no idea what it was, but when he was eight years old, he built a fort in some of the birches over here, and the platform is still in place. Now, it's a little worse for the wear after 30 plus years, but he was so ecstatic. He literally walked out through the grass, got soaking wet up to his knees, but stood there taking pictures, and he's like, it's still there, it's still there. And then we went out to the prayer garden, and then he walked through the house and walked through the church here. And it was just a wonderful time reminiscing for him. And for me, I was hearing stories of the early days of this church. And one of the things that I understood, and I knew this part of it, was his father had been involved with alcohol and drugs and then got saved. And then God called him to ministry. And then he went to the Nazarene Bible College in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and got his education to be a minister. And then God called him back to the community in which he grew up. And he planted this church. So this congregation, this church, 
has a, a very close history, a, a very similar history to the church that Paul is writing to in this book of Colossians. This idea of this young, vital, excited, brand new Christian coming back to his hometown and sharing his faith and winning people to the Lord and seeing them come to faith. I think that for me, if nothing else, that speaks volumes about what I need to be doing in my own walk is recognizing the, the fervor that used to be there. And that, that's something that I have reflected on just in the last 24 hours. Lord, I've known you now in a vital way since 1975. It's been 40, almost 44 years. It's 43 plus years. And there's a, there's a, a word in the, in, the, in the Psalms that says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And see, it, it has become rote for me. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the gospel. I believe in the Bible. I go to church every Sunday. But the excitement, the fervency, the, the desperation of needing to make sure everyone knows about Jesus so that they don't go to hell, that's kind of just settled for me. And, and for me, I recognized in the last 24 hours, that makes me sad that I've allowed myself to reach that point where it's just normal. It's just my everyday. I, I'm reading a book. I shared with, this, with, you, with you guys last week. I, I shared a book. I'm reading a book called Holy Noticing. Um, it's talking about the idea of what the world is calling mindfulness. And he's calling it holy noticing, but it's this idea of being intentional about noticing me and God and my world. And as I've been reading it over the last week, and I, I'm taking it very slowly, it's only, you know, it's only like 12 chapters or 10 chapters, but as I'm reading it very slowly, God has been speaking to me. And this was, this was what was very prominent for me yesterday, this idea, this idea that I need to be intentional. I need to get out. And not trying to beat anybody over the head with a really ugly porcelain dish that has a picture of Jesus on it. But I need to be intentional about sharing with the people that I care about and saying, you know, this is why I go to church on Sunday mornings. This is why I read the word of God. This is why I pray. And letting them know from my own words, from my own story, why it's important to me. Because the reality is, there are people that are dying and don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And the Bible says that those people, once they're dead, there is no there nothing but for them but the judgment. So if we truly believe that this is what the Bible says, then what should we be doing about it? We should be sharing what we believe to be truth with the people who are still walking around in darkness that don't know the truth. And I see that in Epaphras. The other thing I see in Epaphras is that, um, and this is something I'd never heard before until I was reading it in, in one of the commentaries, Paul calls himself in the book of Romans a servant of Christ. The word that he uses in that phrase is doulos, which in, in Greek, I mean in, in English, the word doulos means slave. It's someone who has submitted their will 
to their master and will do anything the master says regardless. It's not just a willingness to, um, to, to serve out of the goodness of their heart. It's a, I give up the freedom to say no to you. Anything you ask of me is yours. Anything you want me to do, I will do. I give you... It used to be years ago in the holiness churches, they used to say, give God the unknown bundle, okay? You come to the point in your walk with Christ where you're a follower of Jesus, but you want to be so fully consecrated to God that you willingly say, God, I don't know what the future holds, but the answer is always yes to whatever question you ask of me. I give you the unknown bundle of my life. And that's what this idea of servant of Christ, this doulos of Christ is, is I willingly say to you, I will never tell you no, God. From this moment forward, the answer will always be yes. And it's not because I have, it's not because I don't have a choice, it's because I'm taking away my opportunity for choice from this this step forward. I will always, from this step forward, be your slave. I will always, from this step forward, be your servant. That's how Paul described himself in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. There were only two other people in all of the Bible record that Paul referred to using the term servant of Christ. One was Timothy, his son in the faith, who he had reared up to be uh, a preacher and a teacher and a pastor. And the other person was Epaphras. We read that in, um, in, 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 in the Colossians book. But what's interesting is if you look at the Greek, Timothy is not a doulos of Christ, a slave of Christ. Timothy is a different word, which I don't have written down, otherwise I'd be telling it to you. But that word means servant. That means a person who, who serves, but it's not the same level, not the same depth. So the reality is, the only other human being that was named in any of the Pauline letters where Paul used exactly the same phrase as he used to describe himself as a sold-out follower of God who had said, I give you everything, was Epaphras. What does that say about this human being? What can we learn from this? Not only is he one who is so fervent and excited about knowing the truth and wanting everyone to know the truth, but this man is 100% consecrated to the purposes of the kingdom. He is a servant, a slave, never to say no to anything God asks of him. And that's a powerful, powerful statement for someone of Paul's standing to make. And the fact that literally Epaphras is the only person in all of the New Testament writings who is referred to as the doulos, the slave of Christ, Besides Paul himself referring, using that term to to identify himself. That says volumes to me about this guy Epaphras. And then finally, and this is the one that that has gripped me. The other things were very challenging, but this last one is what gripped me. And it's why I chose the graphic that I chose, and it's why I chose the quote that I chose. Turn to Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time here because I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but I do want to emphasize it. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. 
This is where Paul has referred to him as a doulos of Christ. He says, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, you Colossians, a doulos of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Let's break this down section by section. Epaphras, who is from Colossae, who is a doulos of Christ Jesus, is there with Paul, ministering to Paul, serving with Paul as a, as a fellow prisoner, as we read in Philemon. He sends his greetings to you. But I'm here telling you, as I've worked with this man, as I've worked side by side in ministry, as we have had Bible study together, as we have had food together, as we have prayed together, I am seeing this guy always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Now, one of the commentators that I read said, imagine Paul saying that about you. Man, that man can pray. Imagine a prayer meeting ending in Paul's cell and Epaphras saying, Paul, I'll see you tomorrow. I'm going to go home. And when Epaphras leaves, Paul turns to Dr. Luke and goes, man, can that guy pray? Because whatever was going on in the Colossian church, there was a need for prayer coverage. And if you take the time to read through Colossians, you'll see that there was some, there was some heres, heretical things that are being taught and things need to be addressed. But what we're looking at at this point is Epaphras' role in this was, and, and he was the founding pastor, if you will. Okay, so he had a strong affinity for these people. These were his babies that he had birthed, as far as spiritually. He was always struggling on their behalf in his prayers. Why? That they may stand mature. And that they would be fully assured in all the will of God. Now, fully assured in the will of God, if you look at Romans chapter 14 and chapter 15, that section, it talks about the idea that some people find all every day uh, equal, there's no day special. Other people say, no, there are special holy days and we need to do certain things of penance or, or we need to do certain acts of spirituality on those holy days. And Paul says, you know, it doesn't make any difference to me. Just do whatever you want to do. As long as you're fully convinced, that's okay. He said then also, some people think that you never eat meat that's been served to idols because, oh my goodness, it's been associated with a demon. And there are other of you who are Christians who say, hey, why should I say no? I said, thanks for it. I've given blessings on it. And we're going to enjoy this food. And he said, again, fully convinced in your own heart and mind, that's all that matters. Just make sure that you're not doing anything without a guilty conscience. That's what Paul is saying about this. And it's this idea of being fully assured in all the will of God. You know that you know that you know that this is okay because you've read it, you've studied it, you've prayed about it, you've counseled with fellow Christians, and you know that the activity you're involved with is okay. You're fully assured in knowing that you're in the very center of God's will. And that's what Epaphras is praying for for his people. In addition to that, Paul says, he prays that you would be able to stand mature. Now, the, this, this idea of standing mature, the, we've talked about this Greek word before, it's called telos. 
Telos means to come to full completion of who you are. Perfection, if you will. This idea of you were created to be and you become that which you were created to be. Being fully complete, being perfect. This idea of telos. Well, that's what Paul is saying here when he says, Epaphras is a servant of Christ Jesus who always struggles on your behalf in his prayers that you may be telos. In your walk with Christ, may that you would become the best Christian that God intended you to be. That you would walk in faith, in integrity, in righteousness, in holiness, submitted to the Father, submitted to Jesus Christ, empowered and filled by the Holy Spirit of God, walking in the gifts of the Spirit of God, and using those gifts for the advancement of the kingdom of God. That's what telos means here. That he would pray for those people to reach that point. So not only that they would know the will of God, but that they would walk perfectly in that will of God. But the thing to me that's so impressive in this is it wasn't just that he prayed for it, but that he struggled in prayer. One of the commentators I read said, it likened this idea of struggling in prayer to the time that Jacob wrestled with the angel through the night and would not let the angel of the Lord go until he had received a blessing from him. It was not just a simple, oh Jesus, please be with these people. Please protect my people, Jesus. Please make sure that they walk in truth, Jesus. Oh God, please make sure that they fully understand what it is that you want from them, Jesus. No. Epaphras spent agonizing, struggle-filled wrestling with the Almighty God, doing spiritual battle on behalf of His people to make sure that they walked in integrity, in telos, and that they had a full assurance as they did so, that they were in the middle of God's will. That's the idea of Epaphras' intercession on the behalf of the followers who were living at Colossae and Hierapolis and Laodicea. This guy, Nate Holdridge, wrote a blog, and I read this at the end of his statement about Epaphras, and he said, he would kneel so they could stand. That speaks volumes to me. Because you see, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for 16 years. I pray for you people regularly. But as I have been reflecting on this idea of wrestling in prayer, I have to admit, I don't wrestle every day. I pray for you, but I don't wrestle for you every day. And if I were to be in a prayer meeting with the Apostle Paul, I don't know if he would turn to Luke after I left and said, man, that guy can really pray. And that speaks volumes to me about where I need to be and where I am. And and, and I'm not saying I'm doing this as a guilt thing. It's it's not a guilt thing. This is something that God is, is making me aware of so that I can exercise that spiritual muscle. So that I can help the atrophy that's developed there because of complacency or because of it's just become the norm. One of the things God has been calling me to, and I will I will confess this to you, is 
that when we first were here years ago, and when we first got here, I would receive these um, these notices from a ministry called Elaine Pettit Ministries. I don't know how we got on the mailing list, but somehow we were on their mailing list. And I would get them and I'd throw them away. And I'd get them and I'd throw them away. I'd get them and throw them away. One day I got one, opened it up and went, hmm, and set it down. And then a week or so later I pulled it back out and I was praying about it. And it ended up, we ended up calling Elaine Pettit and her team of people to come and minister at our church. And one of the things that she asked of us as a congregation was that we would spend no less than six months in intentional prayer for the ministry that God was bringing her to do in um, Two Rivers. So we gathered a group of people every single month. We went out to mile 53 at a cabin that Ruth Rutinsky let us use. And we would, uh, no, it wasn't Ruth's, it was, uh, it was Todd Mackinac's. And we went out to a cabin that was theirs. And we would go out there and spend the day praying and fasting. And God did some powerful things. There was only about six or eight of us that went regularly. But God did some powerful things on those Saturdays. God did some powerful things in my own walk. God did some powerful things during the ministry that she was here for that week. But the other thing I learned was Elaine Pettit, this minister of God, this evangelist, she literally spends upwards of three hours every single day on her face before God in prayer over the things that God has brought before her every single morning. Normally, she would come to the church where she was preaching and join with the congregation from 6 a.m. until whatever time. But because they were staying in town at a hotel, she said I did, she didn't want to lose 30-minute, 40-minute driving. So she said, I won't be at the church praying with you, but I will be praying. And I encourage you guys to pray at the church from 6 o'clock until whenever. But she said, I'll be praying for a minimum of 3 to 4 hours every single day during this week. Well, God has been whispering to, to me about that over the last number of months saying, you know what, Bob? You've been asking for me to fulfill the vision of 150 fully devoted followers of Christ. As a matter of fact, as an aside, that vision came from the Elaine Pettit prayer times in the cabin. And God said, you want this and you're wanting to see a powerful move of my spirit in your church and you're wanting to see your church just break out and you want to see salvations. I mean, we pray every day at 10.02, Jesus, please, Save souls, bring in a harvest, and I add to that, and let it be used, I mean, let, and use our church. Let the members of my congregation, and me included, be the ones to be harvesters and see new souls come to the faith. Every single day at 10.02, I pray that. And the Lord has been saying to me, Bob, how serious is this for you? Because I don't see you on the floor of the sanctuary with your face in the carpet for any length of time, let alone three hours a day. So how serious is this for you? Are you just giving me lip service? Or are you truly a doulos of Christ? Are you truly wanting to see an outpouring of my spirit? Are you willing truly to struggle and to wrestle with me in prayer? To do battle in the heavenlies, falling under, the, being, being part of this whole idea that I am a follower of Jesus Christ and that I am empowered by God in the presence of God to speak words that will bring life to other people. How real is that for me? Or am I just going through the motions and doing Sunday morning and that's about it? That's what I see in Epaphras. That's the challenge that I'm getting here. 
And I have to be honest with you. I've been thinking about it for months. But I have yet to come over here at 6 o'clock in the morning and get on my face before God. That doesn't mean I haven't been praying. It doesn't mean I haven't been reading my scriptures. It doesn't mean I haven't been studying and preparing services. It doesn't mean that I haven't been out in the community trying to minister the love of Christ. But if I truly want an outpouring of the power of God on this community through our ministry, what's it worth? And it, as Paul said, it wasn't just a one-time thing with Epaphras. Paul said he always wrestles in prayer for you guys. This is his normal practice. I imagine when Epaphras was done praying, his face was red, his body was wet from sweat, and he was probably exhausted. If indeed that's how I'm picturing it. And that's the reason I picked the graphic that I did. Look at this. Look at that graphic. It wasn't just somebody kneeling in, in, you know, in complacence and just being quiet before the Lord. This is a man on his knees looking to heaven with his arms uplifted saying, God, God, please. And the whole point of it was he would kneel so they could stand. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about his church. It wasn't about anything for... The, it was so that the power of God could be evidenced. So that the kingdom of God would be advanced. I don't understand why God does this. All I know in the 43 plus years that I have served him is that he chooses to use his people to be part of the plan. And part of it is intercession. Now, some people are specifically gifted as intercessors, but all people, all Christians are called to prayer. All of us. Some of you have the spiritual gift of intercession, and I understand and honor that. But that doesn't excuse the rest of us for not agonizing in prayer over things that are important. For example, and I'm not, I'm not trying to in any way as, as your pastor, I don't want to lay a guilt trap on any of you. Don't raise your hand. But is there someone in your life that you love desperately that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior? When was the last time you truly wrestled, agonized, struggled over that while praying for them? I didn't do it as an example or as, a, as an object lesson. I did it out of the, the outflow of my heart. But when I prayed this morning, you heard me pray that when I preach next Sunday to my family, I want the gospel to come out. I don't want to just go through the motions. I want eternity to be sealed for some of those people. But if I don't get on my face tomorrow morning and continue to wrestle for them throughout the week, how can I expect an outpouring of God on Sunday? It's kind of presumptuous. And that's what I want to challenge you this morning. Get serious. If it's serious, get serious. If it's not serious, sleep in on a Sunday morning and stop wasting your money and your time. Let's pray.